I was going through the most monumental, horrific experience in pretty formative years, being 15 years old, and I struggled. I really struggled. I couldn't focus on schoolwork. I spoke back to teachers, skipped classes, all those things, because I suppose I, it was a cry out for help, which I only really realise now when I look back on it. Where there is conflict, there are casualties. There is no escaping that traditional adversarial divorce can feel very much like neurosurgery with the chisel, that it does damage along the way. Child psychologist Vincent Papaleo. Vincent's job is to write report after report for the family court about how children are faring in difficult divorces. So he sees the damage up close and personal every day. And he's more than a little frustrated with the behaviour of the adults in the room. I'm Tamara O'Dyne. I'm an ABC news anchor and recently divorced mother of two gorgeous little boys who I love more than life itself. So I'm on a mission to find out what it takes to have a good divorce for the sake of all children. And we must, because as you'll hear, the stakes are just so high. There is an abundance and an overwhelming amount of social science research that tells us that children whose parents separate and who maintain high levels of conflict and who involve their children in that conflict have children who are at significantly higher risk of having problems with anxiety and depression, drug and alcohol use, and are at significantly higher risk of having problems sustaining intimate relations themselves. What I see in the children of parents who are in high conflict is that they find themselves in the unenviable no man's land between their parents' conflict, so that they are continuously confronted with conflicting views of reality, negative emotion, parental distress, and they're constantly having to negotiate through that middle space. For some, it becomes overwhelmingly difficult. Some children simply can't deal with the dissonance associated with the conflicting parental realities and align themselves to one parent and reject the other parent. Some children split themselves in half so that they behave and say things to one parent and something completely different to the other. And other children become extremely anxious and sit in that middle space just constantly fretful. As you can imagine, all of those experiences are really damaging in terms of the psychological makeup and development of the young person. Just more on those feelings of, of being split. Can you give me an example? I know you've got a story about a nine-year-old girl who you had some dealings with. Indeed. She, she was remarkable. She said to me, my mum and my dad don't get it. I'm half mum and I'm half dad. So when they fight, it feels as though the two halves of who I am fight and I can't feel whole. Mm, gee. Which is a, you know, a remarkably insightful account of her experience. And it's one that, that I've shared with a great many of the children I've seen over time. And the number of kids who say, that's exactly how I feel that I feel as though I'm no longer whole, that I feel as though I'm fragmented and that my family's life is broken. Don't worry, we'll get to the good news stories in a minute. But first, a little more tough love from family therapist and writer Catherine Woodward-Thomas. She says simply hiding hostility in front of the kids isn't enough. So children will feel emotionally homeless in a divorce if the parents have that experience of a broken home. 
And this is my actual warning to parents is you don't want to have dad's home and mom's home, or if you have two dads or two moms, you don't want to have two separate homes that are distinct cultures from each other that are not working together as one cohesive family, because then your children are always in a state of loss. They're always losing one parent to go and visit another parent. You don't want to dismantle a family because if you do, you will have that experience of your children being emotionally homeless. And that goes for adult children as well as young children. Catherine says you have to deal with your negative emotions for your kids' sake. Kids notice everything. They're little energy sponges. They notice the sigh. They notice the eye roll. They notice that their mother stops breathing when her former husband walks in the room. They notice that, you know, people go into arm crossing and a defensive stance. They notice the tone of voice. All of that is running through their little psyches. They're picking up on all of that. They feel responsible for all of that. So even if you manage to have no harsh words spoken out loud, if you're holding hatred in your heart, you're holding resentment, you're still holding on to blaming that person, and you're not moving towards real conscious completion and peace with that person, your children are holding the tension of that, and that is really impacting them. Um, I'm Maya, and I'm 16 years old. When I was nine, my dad left my mum. I remember it made me quite sad, obviously, and it made me view my parents differently than I previously had. I remember that a lot of things changed after it happened. Like, even my parents seemed to change a bit as well. I think now, after eight years, it's pretty good. You know, sometimes there's a bit of tension in the air, but they do get along. Sometimes, like, my mum will come over for dinner at my dad's house or vice versa. It would be so much harder if they didn't get along. It would just make everything that much more difficult. So, yeah, it definitely matters that they're close. Well, not close, but, you know... (laughs) able to be in the same room. So if I was to distill down what children have said to me over a great many years, I would say that they narrow it down to the following. They do not want to hear their parents' story. They do not want to hear their parents or members of the family speak badly about their parents. And they do not want to carry messages between their parents. And all of these kids understand, whether they're old enough or not, the notion of the messenger always gets shot. So you see them trying to editorialize, you see them trying to modify the story so as to not upset the other parent. So they change the details, they change the context, it creates more conflict. It is a perpetuating, escalating cycle. All of this happened to Sarah. That's a pseudonym we've given her. Her parents' divorce was incredibly hostile and involved years of litigation. I did feel sort of dragged into the process, I suppose, and I I never wanted to have to make a decision between my parents. But I suppose leading up to court dates, I always knew, oh, today's a court day, mum's going to be really anxious, mum's going to be really stressed when she gets home, there's going to be more conflict because something will have unfolded in court and she's going to come home and be stressed and want to offload. And so, yeah, you definitely felt the weight of the situation and those like sort of peaks and troughs, I suppose, of the whole process. Oftentimes, Vincent, when people split up, they're reminded time and again, look, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. They'll bounce back. To what extent is that true? 
That depends on the level of conflict to which children are exposed and, of course, the individual temperament of some children. I think temperament is probably the one factor that uh, determines whether children get through the process more or less scathed. But if you embroil children in a dispute, confront them with unrelenting stress and anxiety, it is going to have a toll. If you have parents who separate, who continue to parent in an authoritative and respectful manner, who get through the grief, those children do no better or worse than children whose parents don't separate. So it's got to do with the way in which parents continue in their role as parents and not blur their parental relationship with their spousal relationship. We have to ask parents to make choices. Is this what you want? And if you don't want that, what are you going to do in order to change it? And those families are successful or those that reflect upon their own behaviour and the parents say, well, what I need to do is this. Those families who are not successful and who experience difficulty say the problem is the other parent. I'm Kate McCallum. We worked very, very hard through our unravelling process to focus on the needs of our children. So we were very much around making sure that they felt safe, that they felt that they were loved equally by both parties and that their parents could um, spend time with them together. So some of the things that we did was we made sure that even when it was uncomfortable, we would catch up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and have coffee together. And then when the kids got a little bit older and they were in their teens and there were more things to talk about, we would meet up and have brunch together with the kids. So the, the two kids with the two of us. And so our children got very used to the fact that their parents could spend time together with them. And that's so, so important for the kids to feel safe and loved. Kate, you might well just be one of the most impressive adults I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, look, I really, I really do hope that many people can have a good divorce tomorrow. I had a conversation with my son not so long ago because he had a significant age birthday. And I said to him, you know, what, what are some of your best memories? And he said to me, the year that we went on holidays together with you and dad, is the most amazing and memorable experience of my life. And honestly, it just it just gave me shivers up my spine. But it just made every tense conversation, it made all of the work of navigating, it made all of that planning and preparation and thinking about how I was going to do things, it made it all so worthwhile just to hear my son say that. I'm Zach and I am seven years old. When my parents divorced, I was like one or two years old. I don't like living in two houses because I sometimes miss the other parent. It means I get to have more toys, but sometimes I want to do something that's at another house. I say it's a bit hard to get used to, but I'm probably going to get used to it when I'm older. Vincent, when my ex and I separated a few years back, lots of people said to me at the time, oh, look, your kids are young. They won't remember this. They'll bounce back. Is there any truth to that? Does the age of your kids at the time of separation and divorce have any bearing on how they'll fare later on in life? But keeping in mind that for many children, their parents' separation is the major event in their life. 
And just because it's better for parents to separate doesn't mean it's better for children. Yeah. Then it's a question of how you and your ex-partner go about the business of being parents to your children. I think that younger children, on condition that parents parent well, are more likely to accept the new normal. And on condition that sensible plans are made for their age and stage, they can get through unscathed. How is it more difficult for teenagers? Kids of 13, 14, 15, uh, the high conflict divorce, you'll see kids in this age range do one of a number of things. Some just flee to their peer group and say, well, look, I just don't need any of this. Others who come to understand because of their cognitive stage, come to understand the conflict, are really prone to being enlisted as allies and supporters and barrackers for their parents. And I think this group of kids is particularly vulnerable to being caught in the split and being empowered to reject one parent. What about their behaviours? What impact is it likely to have on that? One of two things, acting in, withdrawn, anxious, depressed, sullen, avoidant, or acting out, aggressive, hostile, confrontive, oppositional, defiant. Both ends of those continuums are really problematic. Vincent, if you could say one thing to get through to warring parents, what would that be? I would encourage each parents to treat the other parent the way they would like to be treated themselves, to recognise that from the children's perspective, both parents are, are equally important, that it is impossible for them to defend against the attack by one parent against the other, that children are children, they're not friends, they're not allies, they're not confidants. And I would remind them that every single cell in each child's body is comprised of both parents. As an adult child of divorce, my message for parents going through this would be the way you act and behave throughout this whole process impacts your children and every decision you make impacts them. The way you treat each other impacts them and it causes deep inner turmoil and conflict seeing two people that you are biologically designed to love hate each other and I just think if you can do this in a way that is centred around the mental health and development of your children that is absolutely the way forward. I don't know about you but that triggered a bit of guilt for me but it also gave me a lot to think about. If you're in the thick of a hostile divorce right now and want some ideas on how to work your way to a better place, check out episode two on Conscious Uncoupling with Catherine Woodward-Thomas. Next time on The Good Divorce, I'll hear from the experts about how to avoid ending up in court, because as we all know, the only thing that achieves is a new swimming pool for your lawyers. The thing that strikes me a lot is people are often in a win-loss frame, feeling as if they need to win. There's also a natural tendency in those circumstances to try and be right. And so often these discussions can end up relitigating things that have happened in the, in the past. Now, I hear stories of people who had pool of marital assets, a net pool worth $500,000, who spent $100,000 on legal fees. 